So it's um, day three or day four of the book club, Rasa? Four? Day four, yeah, I think so. I and think. We're extremely <laughs> honored to have uh, Mother Sitala with us today. Thank you so much for, for being with us. Uh, I remember Thank sort you. of- Thank you. I remember sort of uh, bumping into you as I was growing up in Mayapur and just saying like Haribo, but never really approaching you, never asking you anything. And it wasn't until 2008 when we were in uh, Nartam Das Thakur's temple in Vrindavan, Radhabraj Mahan. And, uh, and I just remember seeing the enthusiasm pouring out of His Holiness Indra Jumna Swami, um, talking about how Nartam Das Thakur was his hero. And then he introduced yeah. you as uh, <laughs> as this devotee that was also very passionate about Nartam Das Thakur and he said that you were writing this incredible book and we were all so excited to, he to hear from you but also to read it at some point and we were thinking oh the book might be published the year after or something like that but anyway we eventually <laughs> we eventually got around to reading it and I don't know if um, Rasa shared this with you but when I was um, serving at Bhaktivedanta Manor, we had a little reading group as well on e every Monday. And we had this, um, this lovely Jewish couple. They, they weren't like practicing um, bhakti yoga per se, but um, her name was Sarah. And I, I don't think she minds me uh, uh, mentioning her. She, she was so enthusiastic about Nartam that she memorized like everything we we were reading she became an encyclopedia so anytime i could do a little bit of <laughs> trivia i could ask her i could quiz her and she knew everything about nartam das Thakur's life so that really inspired me um now that we're in a lockdown we're in a pandemic to restart a little book club and also start with this with this book that's become a favorite of ours so thank you so much Fantastic. It's, it's, um, it's so inspiring to see other people become inspired by Nartam Das Thakur. Um, and, and it's amazing. He seems to like catch fire with people. Uh, there's two other groups. There's one in Australia, some, uh, you know, older Indian ladies, and um, they're all reading the book together and crying online and <laughs> and they're being touched you know because that's the nature of of the personality that it's about you know that he's so he touches the heart you know so it's nice to know that you're doing this i really it's ecstatic <laughs> thank you so much and please do bless us that we can go a little bit deeper as as we're reading so it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. <laughs> so um, we, we've come up with a few questions for you. Um, and um, we wanted to start off with, with a little question around um, the writing of the book. So the, the question is, when did you first hear about Nartam? And what was your first impression? Um. Well, I would say it would just be through Srila Prabhupada's lectures uh, was when I really heard about Nartam Dastakur. And I, I have to say that it intrigued me that I noticed, you know, very early on, you know, in the 70s, how frequently Srila Prabhupada mentioned his name. And although Prabhupada mentioned, like I did a search in folio 
and he mentioned his name like over 3000 times or something. Wow. So much more than, uh, I mean, he, he really resonated with Nartam Dastakorn, really knew his song. So in, in so many lectures, um, you know, one after another, you would hear him say Nartam Dastakor said, and then he'd, you know, say a line. And um, I just noted that, wow, who is this? Because, you know, often Prabhupada quotes the Bhagavatam or, you know, certain verses, Bhagavad Gita, but he just did it so much that I kind of became curious. Well, who is he? Because we didn't really have much information. And even Srila Prabhupada, although he um, quotes him, he doesn't speak about his life. I've researched everything and hardly anything, hardly anything at all. So that was really the first time that um, I thought, who is this? You know, this is interesting that Srila Prabhupada is so, that he said that the songs of Narottam Dastakur are as good as Shastra. And he quoted them like he quoted Shastra. So, so that intrigued me. That was probably the beginning of um, being interested in that particular personality. Yeah, that reminds me of um, that little month we spent with Yamuna Devi just opposite your house. And um, she, she specifically told us that Prabhupada instructed her to study the songs of Nartam and, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And it's, it's yes. so nice to, I remember when, when we were before reading Gitavali or singing Gitavali, we read that um, uh, Solikita Jivani just to get to know Bhaktivinoda Thakur a little bit better. So it's, it's so nice now that we're singing Nartam Das Thakur songs every morning, Guru Puja, yeah. Um, yeah. Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu, Jayanila, yeah. so many different songs, but now we get to know the, the person behind the songs as well. Yeah. Um, many people have told me that, you know, now that they read the book, they somehow didn't put it together that we sing these songs every day. This is the person. And, and then it just makes it more meaningful when you're singing it. Like when you're singing uh, Ramachandra, Sange, you know, oh, that's from Chandra Kaviraj. Oh, I remember from the book. <laughs> so it, it makes things more meaningful. So, which is great. I mean, like that's a good example, Jamuna practically started a revolution, you know, in consciousness amongst the young people simply by doing the songs of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur primarily. So you see the impact, it's powerful. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm gonna ask Rasa to take us over with the next question. Okay, well, the next obvious question would be what inspired you to write a book about Naratam and how long did that take and what were the, some of the obstacles and difficulties along the journey of writing it? Um, okay well to begin what inspired me uh, I was in a situation in the 80s I can't remember exactly like mid 80s early 80s and I was working, there was an uh, uh, Institute for Vaishnava Studies that was begun, begun by Garuda Graham Schweig in uh, Washington, DC. And he got a grant from the Smithsonian Institute 
to uh, microfilm uh, old documents, mostly in South India was their interest, but he took the opportunity to start doing, um, to gather a whole team that would study the history of the Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So he had a group, and mainly it was Dainanda and Nandarani were in Calcutta. And after a few years, they moved to Delhi. So I was very connected with them. And I started, I had a lot of free time in India. I was there getting deities and getting outfits and going back and forth from Europe. And um, so in my spare time, I started working with them and they were getting all these translations done, things that nobody had ever heard before or seen before. So the Naratam Vilas, the Prem Vilas, even Bhakti Ratnakar, so many, like those were uh, nothing in print yet about any of these personalities. So I was just doing uh, editing for them because they had a Bengali translator who wasn't really so good with English. So they would call me the, the Banglish translator, you know, taking it from, you know, kind of bad <laughs> from Bengali to English and then a little bit better English. So I became really inspired doing that. Like it became, well, sort of like a hobby <laughs> in that I, I just got interested in this whole history and all these people that are, you know, in our parampara, but we don't really know much about them. And Dainanda and Nandarani were super passionate about this and they just lived it for years, just gathering manuscripts and editing and they had all these projects going. And um, so that was very, uh, that like sparked in me an interest in our history. I just found it fascinating. And um, unfortunately, the IVS fell apart at probably around 87 or so, various reasons. And, and then it was like, oh, darn, you know, now what? You know, because I and I had all these materials, but they really belong to um, the IVS. So it's not like I could publish them or anything myself. Uh, but I thought, well, how could I use what I have? So my idea, I thought, well, I want to stay immersed in this because I can see this is really good for me. And it's just really interesting. So I thought, well, maybe I could just write some kids' books, a bunch of kids' books about all these personalities. So that was the original idea, was to write children's books. So I would write stories. And I immediately first went to Nartam Dastakur because his story is so fascinating and he's just so captivating. And this young boy, you know, son of a king, and you know renounces and it's just like the whole thing is so magical and so this would be a great story so i thought it was going to be just a little quick thing that i do <laughs> 30 years later <laughs> well what happened is that you know gradually i just became more interested as i was writing it in that you know i had to find um because if you're writing a story you can't, you know, you have to weave it together, but then you only have bits of information. 
So it was like I had to start searching for other materials that could kind of fill in the gaps. And also there are, um, there are many versions to almost uh, every story. There's slightly different versions, you know? So I used to sit with all the different manuscripts in front of me and read, you know, like how did Nartam leave home? Oh, here it says this, this, this is, and then kind of try to blend it, you know, in the best way possible with put the information together. So it wasn't quite as easy as you would think. And then there were, you know, just these gaps. So then I'd hear about, oh, there's this book somewhere and that book somewhere. And, you know, this is in Hindi, this is Bengali. So, you know, like I got a few books and then I'd have to sit down with somebody here, you know, that knows the language and, and just hand write it. So, you know, you can see how that would take a while. And um, then it came to a point, well, I remember Andrew Junimarge was always fired up about it, you know, from the beginning, because he's just always been a Naratam Bhakta. And it's interesting that in the course of doing this book, I found that there are many, uh, many Naratam Bhaktas, people that are just, they're just so enthusiastic about him. They're drawn to him. They have some feeling for him, you know? So who knows why that is, but it, it is certainly a reality. And um, so then Andrew Dunmaj wanted to read it. I had it kind of, kind of done-ish. And he read, he said, well, what are you talking about? This is not a kid's book. You know, this is for everybody. You know, you just have to, you know, fill it in a little bit more. And, you know, so then it kind of shifted over time into, okay, a book for everyone. And so it would be okay for me ex to explore more philosophical topics and things like that, you know. And then it came to the point of, but in the meantime, I got married then not too long after and then my husband's writing books and I was helping him with his books and then you know had Rasarani you know so uh at the same time I was trying sure, to get blame your procrastination on me <laughs> it's all because of Rasarani really <laughs> um you know then I, I tried to get artwork because I had a vision of what I wanted because um, all along, I didn't want it to be like a cartoon character or something. I didn't, I wanted him to, the story to be real and the pictures that would depict it real, you know, now that's hard. It's really hard to get. And so I went through a number of artists and, and it's a very slow process. You have to find somebody and then they you know, they've got to read the book and then they do some samples and, you know, so it really started dragging all over the place. And I, and it took me through about four or five artists before I realized, nah, I'm not doing this, you know. And then at the same time, we had no money and, you know, life was, you know, this wasn't my whole life. It was my hobby. <laughs> and so it just kind of slowly receded into the back of my computer. And it was just left on a back burner. And that was it, you know. Well, and, well to be fair, I mean, we did pull it out 
you know, at least twice a year, because I remember when I was a kid, you reading it with your yeah. friends every no, like a... appearance and disappearance day um, yes. or on like quiet crumbs and we're not. Yes. So to, yeah, to, to go further in this question, it's like, um, so those were some of the obstacles, but then the blessings were just uh, so many. I mean, there were just so many blessings because as Rasarani said, you know, I kept bringing it out and I kept, so it's like I had this um, percolating all the time. Nartam Dastakur was kind of in my life, you know, this real personality that had I just done it, got it out and boom, 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 it wouldn't have been like that. But it was like this slow seeping into my consciousness and bringing it out whenever anybody wanted to hear it and whenever there was appearance and disappearance. And so, you know, he became like a real presence in my life and the opportunity to talk about him, to discuss with others, to meet other people that were interested. And so the blessings were just like mega, you know? So I think that's, I've covered everything from that question, yeah? <laughs> There's so much to unpack here. I mean, just the obstacles of, of being uh, a wife, of being a mother. When you're single, it's like so much easier to do things. Like I've got nothing going on. So it I was is. like, hey, Rasa, do you want to do a book one? <laughs> She's it like, is. oh yeah, I also have well, nothing going on. <laughs> well, I always, I, I tell people frequently that, you know, cause a lot of the times people who are single, um, they waste a lot of that good time mm. in worrying about when they're not going to be single and how they're going to go from being single to being married and, 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 and you know, feeling anxious that they don't have a partner. Or that, but actually, it's a fabulous time that you're free. You know, you, you have, you can do absolutely so much like I mean if I can kind of regress into my own history because I was like 20 years not married in Krishna consciousness so it was like most of my friends were all married and and I was like oh my god they can't do anything they can't go to Gorpanima they can't and, and I was like traveling the world getting all the deities made and 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 just going you know I went to Israel and Spain and and you know all the European countries to help with different projects and this and that. So like for me and people kept saying, you know, don't you want to be married? And I was like, well, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, this is pretty nice what I'm doing. <laughs> and so um, you know, there's a downside to it, but there can be really an upside. So you know, to take advantage when you can. You know, because most people then when they get married, I could see we're all lamenting, you know, oh, you know, I can't do anything now. And before when I was single, you know, so it's always that grass is always greener on the other side, you know. So you, you can have a wonderful time. Whatever Krishna has given you at the time, take advantage of it because it will change. Whatever it is, you know, nothing stays the same, you know, so take advantage of it of the, every situation that you're in, you know, because being single can be really wonderful. Thank you for that. As can being married. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for that beautiful instruction. And uh, we definitely want to hear more about your life, but we, we've set those questions for a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. wondering, because, um, uh, yeah, we, we all grew up reading various books, not necessarily Christian conscious. Um, you know, we have like J.K. Rowling writing Harry Potter or Tolkien writing Lord of the Rings. And it seems almost, I, I was just reflecting upon it. Um, if you're in tune with Paramatma or with creativity, then it seems sort of easy to come up with a story like that. But to, uh, as I was listening to you, to uncover multiple stories of Narutam Das Thakur and try and decipher which one's the correct one, like how, how difficult was that to do? And um, what sort of insight did you receive to, to choose which story and so on? Um, well, it was difficult. Uh, and it also because you have to make links in between that you don't necessarily have. Like, like say, for example, uh, Krishnananda Dat. We know that he's a king. We know that he prayed for a son. We know that he worshipped his Sheila. And so, you know, you create a scene that shows all of that in one, although there isn't any specific book that says on, you know, Monday in 18 such and such, he sat down and he did this. You know, it's not like a history book, you know. So, but for me, the writing process was just it was totally learning on the go. I had no prior experience and I really didn't know what I was doing, you know, but I knew what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be a genuine story where the person comes to life. And I didn't care so much, you know, like if you see the difference between, uh, the writing or histories in the East and in the West. In the East, it's all about the tattva, the truth and the emotion. And in the West, it's all linear. You know, well, what day did this happen? And how, how old was he? And how many years went by? And, you know, the East, it's not there. You, you don't find it. Like you look in Bhagavatam, it's going all over the place, different yugas and everything. There's no, you know, it's cyclical. The Eastern psyche is cyclical and uh, the Western is kind of linear. You know, it started here and then this point and this point and this point. So it's very different. And I, I, I had to, because you can't speculate and you can't make up anything. But at the same time, like, you know, you know that it's hot in India, so it would be fair enough to say the sun was streaming into the room, although you weren't there that day, you know. <laughs> so like things like that, you know, that you, you just kind of, but um, I think there are certain books that are considered more authentic books, and then there's secondary sources. So when I had to make a choice, I have to go with what would be known as the more authentic source, you know, than some little thing, you know, that, you know, there's lots of writings, you know. Well, in, in that vein, I mean, a lot of times um, when you hear stories of uh, like 
previous acharyas like Baladevi Chabushan or Jayadev Goswami or even Prabhupada, their writing and creativity process, um, they often receive relevations and things to encourage them in their writing. So did you ever have any mystical experiences like Prabhupada or Narthan Dastaku coming to you in a dream or anything along that line? Um, it is true that, you know, like say Brindavan Das Thakur and Chaitanya Bhagavat, he's like, he said, I'm not writing this. Also Prabhupada said, I'm not writing this, you know. Uh, and in the case of Brindavan Das Thakur, he said, my Nitai is just making me say everything, you know. So in my case, that is not the case because I am a neophyte devotee. And that's not like some humble statement. That's a reality that I'm a very beginning devotee. And so, no, I, I mean, I would love to say that I had this dream and Nartam and said, yes, do it, you know, I wish. But no, actually, that is not. But I could say still that there was so much synchronicity that it was. It, it was somewhat mystical in a sense. Like, you know, you're interested. So then you meet someone, uh, you know, someone that has a little piece of the puzzle, you know, that knows something, oh, and points you in this direction. Or you just open, you read something, you know, so there, there's a lot of synchronicity. Like I remember when I, I was about to, uh, I was just beginning writing and, uh, What's his name? Tatva, Tatva, that really knowledgeable uh, Indian devotee, not Tatva Darshan. Anyway, you probably knew him from, from Mayapur. Is it Atma Tatva? Anyway, yeah, yeah, Atma Tatva. That's what I was saying. Atma Tatva. Um, so I was talking to him and I, I had him speak about Nartam because he also had a lot of information. And so like, that's where I say like secondary sources, people that might give some inspiration, but you don't necessarily, you can't take it as fact unless it's followed, you know, unless you find something similar in the book, you know. But when we were doing that, this older Bengali, really old Bengali Vaishnava was talking to Atmatattva, uh, and he said, oh, this lady is writing a book on Nartam Das Thakur. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> this, this Mlecha kid is writing about that Acharya? <laughs> and I was like, well, um, I'm going to try. And then he, he goes, I'll never forget it. He said, he said, well, if you write that book and if people do not cry when they read that book, then you did not describe Nartam Nastakur. And I was like, it always stuck in my So When people say they like the book, I said, did you cry? <laughs> and actually quite a lot of people have told me that they did cry, you know, so that makes me feel good. And um, so I would say in a way, it, it, it was mystical. It was mystical because when I look back, I think I don't, I don't have any sense of that I did that. You know, it was just like something that meant to be happened. You know, it was meant to be. And 
it, it just does seem mystical to me because I don't feel like, oh, that's my book. I wrote that. I, I don't, I don't know how it happened. And then how did it get printed and all of that, you know? And then at the same time, um, what was really is that the timing was perfect. Now it seems ridiculous because I was writing this in the eighties, right? So, um, I mean, it probably was actually finished around 93 or four or something and then just went into a back burner, you know? So then I just printed it, what, five years ago or something? Four years, I don't even know. You know, the years, the decades, they just fly by the older you get. And, um, but the thing is, is that had I written it and put it out at that time long ago, um, it would have not been a success as it, as it has been as successful because it was just perfect. Like it was like Andrew Dumas and Charter Atma and everybody, they were just like, everyone was all fired up about this, you know? And they like promoted it and, you know, so it actually, it just felt wonderful because then it became like, that's what I talk about. And, you know, always being invited on the Parikramas and this and that to speak. And, and then of course it went into other acharyas, not just Nartam, but, um, but for me, it was, it's kind of mystical. I mean, I couldn't have, I didn't plan any of that at all. It's just like, yeah, it was mystical. <laughs> so yeah, but no dreams, no. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of our, our dear temple president at Bhaktivedanta Manor who, who passed away, Shruti Dharma Prabhu. He always used to tell us this uh, one verse uh, from the Gita, Nimitta Matram Bhava Sabya Sachin, that um, everything's already done, the war is already fought, but you can you can take credit for it if you want. So it's it's almost like the book's already written. Oops, but Krishna's like, would you like to take credit for for writing this and and sort of arranging everything for you? Like Rasa was telling me on on day one, I think it was that the book was just published you had all the books there on the table in Kartik um, Braj Parikram and then they just all sold out that that one day so it was just mind-blowing it, it it really is true it's a real practical example of this philosophical point that something is meant to be and somehow or another if you're fortunate you know or if you have a strong desire and um, then maybe you can do that, you know, or maybe not. It's, you know, it's up to Krishna. But like to me, that whole, like all the books going out and everything was like, oh my God, all the boxes are empty. What happened? You know, all I knew my hand was totally cri <laughs> crippled from signing my name, you know, but it was, it was magical. And, you know, what I see is not, it's nothing, I really don't have a sense of it being anything about me, but that Naratam Das Thakur was meant to become known and appreciated and valued more. And Krishna made this arrangement. And, and so it's just wonderful to see that devotees are more 
just like Jamuna take that took that time, you know, to get people to sit and read Bhaktivinoda Thakur's songs, and then wow, it starts really being meaningful to you, you know. So you can see how the time is ripe, you know. It's it's just like it was meant to happen. So, yeah. And it also feels more organic, like. Uh, I know I'm on the opposite end of this, but one of the things I learned from my friend uh, Janavi is that she she really just sort of went with the flow of things. She didn't want any fame. She she wasn't doing this with a particular agenda. Just loved kirtan, loved sharing it with people. And we see the same thing with you. It wasn't like you were trying to write a book to to get famous or so that everyone knows that you're the Nartan Bhakta. But it was just sort of a very organic thing and it sort of took its time to to create and in that way it was very natural i think it's a big lesson really because you know in passion the influence of passion is that we want to like especially in the modern day you know you got to get your timetable down and you got to get your achieve what you you know and like you're you like you can control it all you know but really, you know, for a devotee, he really just wants to, he's relaxed because he allows Krishna to do things. Like if you saw Srila Prabhupada, like it was incredible what he was doing. You know, most people, if they had any, even one-tenth of that kind of responsibility and things going on would be anxious, you know, and, you know, but when you saw Prabhupada, you could see that he was utterly and completely and totally relaxed. Amazing, like as if he just had all the time in the world for everybody. And like he ha had nothing else to do, but to just be in the present, you know, so and also I think it's a great example about Janavi, because she uh, also you know, oh my God, is a kid the shyest kid ever? You know, I mean, she just so did not want to be in the limelight, but you know, that's a good thing, you know, that can qualify you to be in the limelight because if you want to be and Krishna gives it to you, you're probably gonna be in big trouble. <laughs> and we've seen it, we've seen that happen in our movement, you know, so allow to allow, just like Srila Prabhupada his whole life, he wanted to do what Bhakti Siddhanta asked and he wanted to travel, he wanted to preach. And, you know, one thing and another, um, you know, but the timing, again, it had to be right. So Prabhupada had to just continue. And then when he did come, I mean, had he come 10 years before, the audience was not there. You know, all those young people, that was the time, you know? So it's like Krishna knows the bigger picture. And if we just go along with it, instead of trying to control or manipulate it, um, well, we'll be a lot happier and probably more productive actually at the right time. <laughs> Speaking of Srila Prabhupada and, and what he did bringing this bhakti tradition to the West to, to people that had no idea uh, about anything, um, how would you describe Narantam Das Thakur in a couple of sentences to someone that isn't very familiar? Maybe they've they've listened to Janavi on, on Spotify, or maybe they've been to a, a kirtan in a yoga studio, but how would, how would you explain Narantam Das Thakur to them? 
Um, I think I would um, say in brief that this is a person, we talk about spirituality, we talk about becoming spiritual, but this is a person, this is someone who actually shows us in his life the highest possible potential for love the highest possible potential because you know this is what everyone wants everybody is looking for it everybody is looking for some intense loving exchange i mean everything that's going on the theme of every book and movie and you know is all about you know getting something even extreme sports you know feeling something really intensely you know so on the spiritual platform this person, Naratam Das Thakur, shows us that what we're trying to get here is just like, it's just a piddly little drop in the bucket. Even the most intense material experience here is nothing comparatively. You know, so he shows us that we have so much more potential than what we think. Every soul has the capacity to love in a way that will not just melt his heart, but melt his whole body into the Ganga. That's how he departed from the intensity of his emotions. So people want emotional experiences, but it's the same old, like after you see enough movies and read enough books, it's like the same, uh, you know, and Prabhupada used to say, chewing the chewed. There, there are only, you know, like two or three different themes and they're just playing out in a million different ways, you know? And, but there is more. You know, so getting beyond that realm, you know, and I think anybody could relate to that, you know, that there are people, you know, and it's not just there are people that have had experiences and have shown in their life that there is something so much more to be experienced, to be felt. And, uh, and Nartam Dastakur is just someone who totally shows that and it, it's relevant you know he is relevant you know to show how far can love go spiritually you know don't go for the broken glass you know or little little nothing when you know a diamond is possible you know so somebody has to open up that door and show you that there's a whole nother potential you're just dumbing yourself down by staying with these mundane emotions you just you're just using none of your potential as a soul you know it's like oh it, it's sad and pathetic because it's just it is Prabhupada always said chewing the chew, chew it's such a good example it is chewing the chew yeah so i think that that would be how i would uh i think that would be attractive to people definitely and so then because he has such an amazing life and exemplifies all these things what is your favorite like anecdote or pastime or like even quality of Narada Nostalgia? Uh, uh, She's put you on the spot here. 
No, not really. I just, I was still pondering the last, what we were talking about, because I, th I, I actually was thinking, well, how would people think about, uh, you know, what I just said, like somebody from a yoga studio, would they relate to that? So I was just kind of pondering and I was thinking how people, you know, how people tend to have heroes. Um, everybody does, you know, the athletes, the politicians, the movie star, everybody's like, wow, you know, look at that guy, you know, so I mean, spiritually, we we need heroes, we need people, you know, that we can really look up to and see like, wow, look at the power of his focus of his meditation, of his attitude, you know, that you know, if you're on a path and you're trying to become spiritual, well, you want to see where does it lead? You know, what, what, what does the destination look like? And what does it feel like? And those people have perfected it. What kind of people are they? Do I want to be with them? I mean, are those the people I want to be with? You know, so yeah, somehow I was just still stuck on that, that I think people do want to know that there are spiritual heroes, you know, even though, you know, a lot of people feel they've been let down by spiritual people, but it doesn't mean that there aren't any, you know. But anyway, to go on to Rasarani's question, what's my favorite pastime? Can I just um, share one thing before that? Yeah. I, I was just reminded yeah. because um, I guess one of one of my hobbies is filmmaking and, and I'd love to make some like feature films someday. And I was just thinking about how I have this theory that the more something is connected to Krishna, the more successful it will be. Like, mm. take, for example, Avatar. It's blue people, Krishna's blue. It's about saving yeah. the planet. Krishna talks about <laughs> yeah. preserving Earth. Um, there's yeah. this, sort of this culture, this ritual at the time of death. You know, there's so many things. And then yeah. um, my favorite scene from Lord of the Rings uh, in the third film is when the king Aragon, he's just been crowned, but he but he pays his obeisances to the hobbits, and I was like, that's that's yeah. straight out of out of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life, you know, like that that sort yeah. of humble yeah. attitude. Yes, yeah, you know, because it's not like you know, there's matter and there's spirit, you know, like all of these things are flowing uh, around, you know, truths and things that touch the heart. You know they have their origin in krishna it's not like krishna's over there krishna's everywhere so some people you know tap into him a little something some little something you know and and then that's what what works like you say it works really well um yeah so are we thinking of what's the best pastime is that that I like. Yeah, I, I was yeah. sort of thinking that you, there's a lot of different pastimes in the book. And, and uh, I know a lot of my generation and the next generation, they, we don't read anymore. Like we're, we're just, uh, and maybe we like reading. I know for myself, I love reading. I have so many books, but I end up wasting so much time on the computer. Maybe not wasting, maybe it's also work and, and different things. But for those that, you know, may not read the book in in the next couple of months or whatever or years mm -hmm. what's like your favorite pastime that you could share with them hmm. that's a really hard one because there's just so much uh well maybe if i talk about 
the qualities that I like the most in Naratam, it'll show in their pastimes of how he was like that. So, you know, there's a few things that I really, I just love um, about Naratam Das Thakur. Um, one is his determination. From a little kid, I mean little, you know, he had, so I mean, he used to the first he knew, of course, he was, he was a son of a king. And they were very pious and very religious people, but you know, materially pious. And uh, so, you know, different spiritual people used to come and give talks. That's what people used to do before TV and computers and everything. There would be, you know, nighttime programs in every temple. There would be some kind of pravachan and people would go and listen to all different saintly people speak, you know. That was the culture. Even when I came to India and, you know, in, in the 70s, there was still a lot, lot of that. And, uh, you know, so little Naro was like a toddler, two, three years old. And then he would sit and he would hear. And he, he was just like completely riveted to hear these stories of the great souls and to even hear the philosophy. And he would say to his parents afterwards, oh, I'm going to be like that. Or why don't we run away like Raghunath Das and, and, and go stay in a, in a dharmshala, you know? And they would laugh, you know, how the parents would, it was so cute. And then, you know, sometimes he would just go on and on. And then the father would say, oh, Naro, those are the saints, you know? We worship them, we honor them, but we could never become like them. And then, but little Nartam's thinking, well, maybe you can't, but I can. I could, and I, I'm going to, you know? So he's like this little kid, you know, toddler, you know, so never underestimate the, you know, the power of a, even a very small child to make a firm commitment, which he kept through his whole life, that yes, I'm going to do that, you know. And then, of course, you know, there's a long, long story of how it was that he finally did leave home. And again, he was still a young, you know, teenager, and um, hard to say his exact age. Um, but still, how difficult that would have been. You know, he was the Yuvraj. He was Rajkumar Nartam. He was supposed to take over from his father. His father was a king. I mean, they had small kings. It wasn't like, you know, all of India or something, but it was a large area that he was responsible for. And this is the only son. And if you know anything about India, you know, sons are like everything. You know, you gotta have the sun, you know, <laughs> and then what to speak of if you're a king, you know, if you're a king and because everything, uh, you know, everything is passed down like that. It's all a family thing, you know, so for him to be and the whole town adores him, you know, and that, you know, the whole story of trying to get away. And then this young boy who's been pampered and coddled all his life is suddenly in a forest running barefoot, you know, to the other side of the country, 
months away with no idea he's never been anywhere. You know, so think of it like in reality, how hard was that? How determined was that boy? How, you know, and he knew there was gonna be hundreds of people out after him, you know, trying to find him. So he had to run and run and run. You know, there's no lights, there's no water, there's no road signs, you know, you're in the forest. You know, I think for us, it, it's, it's inconceivable. It's like, it seems impossible. But I mean, he did arrive, he did make it. You know? can, I, can I just share, um, last year, I actually got lost in the mountains. And oh, um, really? Yeah, it, it was it was sort of because I've moved to the Lake District, which is sort of like the mountain area of the United Kingdom. And um, mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about like mountaineering. So I went without any socks, which is the worst thing to do. So I started Bad getting these blisters. Yeah, started getting these blisters. And then I, I took my shoes off. I was like, I'll just walk barefoot. But then there was like so many rocks and I was getting cut. And I actually got lost and it turned out to be a 16 hour hike. And it was like, by the end of it, it felt so good. It felt like I achieved something in my life. But during wow. the experience, it was so <laughs> difficult. And I can just picture, like, I just did that for one day. I can picture Naratam Das Thakur doing that for, was it a month? Is weeks that and weeks and weeks. Yeah, to get a minimum of two months, I would think. You know, I mean, walking, you think how many miles that is. It's over a couple of thousand miles more. And, you know, every day, how much can you go, you know, and it's not roads like zoom, 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 you know, and, and you don't know where you're going, you don't have maps. I mean, it's just an incredible, you know, the determination that it, it would take sometime not on this i'll tell you about my first brajmando parikrama <laughs> that was also gives you a sense of what it is to you know wander and get lost somewhere and be out in the middle of nowhere you know and and what it would be like to be all alone you know so what was driving him so you imagine the desire like he could have thought you know after a few days oh mommy <laughs> I want to go home. I want some prashadam, you know, and, you know, for an ordinary person, you know, at some point, you know, you're pampered, you're taken care of, you know, you know, you could just go back there and live a comfortable life. <laughs> and so what was driving him was such passion, you know, to keep going. And of course, there's stories along the way that show how he got inspired and, and encouraged by Rupa and Sanatan themselves, you know, to keep going. And then more disappointment. I mean, he had like so much disappointment and yet he kept going. And um, so like, I just like, and you see that throughout his life, you know, that there's this kind of, he's so fixed, you know, it's hard in this day and age, we're so soft, you know, we're such, you know, people of comfort and, you know, <laughs> It's hard to imagine this kind of, you know, this this kind of determination. It was the same when he arrived in Vrindavan. And then, you know, Loknath Goswami, as soon as he saw him, he wanted to be initiated, and everybody thought, oh no, 
you know, it's never going to happen because Lokanath took a vow. And in those days, a vow was like a real thing. You know, you don't break those, <laughs> especially not a personality like Lokanath Goswami, you know. But his, I mean, in the end, Lokanath said, your fierce determination has broken my vow, <laughs> made me break my vow, you know. So that's one thing that uh, his determination also his um his innovative creative preaching spirit um you know that he had a very very strong desire to just open the door wider and push the boundaries further you know like he made strategies like every acharya does to to, to make it work according to that particular time you know, so he did things like he, I mean, he initiated dacoits, um, you know, that was like radical. Uh, and he also initiated Brahmins and he was a Kayasta. And according to social custom, that was so, so going against the norm, you know, but, you know, he pushed, he pushed for that, you know, to make it more accessible, more and more open to everyone. And, uh, you know, and then the whole thing of him writing songs in the local dialect, you know, it seems like just a normal thing now, but actually it wasn't a done thing. You know, people had folk songs that they sing, but, you know, he wrote the whole dictionary of spiritual life from A to Z through songs, from the most basic concepts through to the highest, highest, highest spiritual experiences, A to Z or Z, as they say in England. And, um, you know, that was his, that was his strategy, you know, how to do this. And, and it really worked. His, his songs are still famous, you know, they're still famous. And, uh, and then festivals, you know, I mean, he started the first Gorpurnima festival. That was his idea was he wanted to bring people together. He saw, that imagine the difficulty after Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left the planet, what it would have been like. I mean, you know, we can only, you know, it's hard to imagine how the difficulty. And so there were many, you know, when Nartam traveled on pilgrimage, he saw, you know, first of all, he saw the sadness and the broken-hearted devotees that were missing Mahaprabhu, and he saw also deviants, deviations and misunderstandings. And so his way is just bring everybody together and just have a mega maha, you know, Gorpurnima the first time, for the very first time. And, you know, we owe him what a debt, you know, because how much is Gorpurnima is so much like a part of our all of our lives you know imagine not having that in your life and he started it you know that was his his strategic plan you know this is how I'll do it you know we're going to bring everybody together and the way we solve everybody's problems is about having the most powerful kirtan that ever existed that the Lord and all his associates will just come down in front of everyone and then no more questions no more confusion you just, you're just there, you know, so he did that. So that's something that I love about him. And I, I love uh, the way he, um, 
how passionate he was for his friendships with the devotees, that he had such loving relationships that were lifelong, all, you know, his whole life. And uh, I think that shows something very important. It carries you through, you know, good friends in Krishna consciousness. And, uh, and that's not a mundane thing. That's a treasure. So those are some things that I'm very fond of about Narta, some qualities. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And I, I guess our, our leading up to our next question, which is about which is your favorite song. I'm just thinking about how the the Murdanga that we studied, the Murdanga mantras came from Nartam Das Thakur as well. And he sort of like saved our teenagehood by having like, <laughs> to me, um, to me, learning Murdanga was a little bit like being part of a football team. It was like <laughs> learning the new tricks. Yeah, lear learning. Yeah. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, because the thing is, we all have like these natural desires, you know, but in Krishna consciousness, they're to the perfection. I mean, how much better that is than, you know, football team, you know, all the guys playing their drums. <laughs> it's really nice. So, so yeah, what is your, your favorite Nartam Das Thakur song? And, and I know that I, I really, I really couldn't, I really couldn't say that I had a favorite song, you know, I mean, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, <laughs> I mean, that has got to be, you know, it's just everything's in there. It's, I love that song. And of course, Guru Vandana, I mean, like every day we are connected with his emotions. Um, through those songs. So I, I think those, and also, you know, I love the Nam Sankirtan, the Hari Hari Namakrishna, Yadavaya. But he added those more, those other verses that H.I. Goshayar Muritar Das, Tansabara Padarenu Mordapani, you know, about the six Goswamis and about Vrindavan. And so I love that. And Radha Krishna Pranamoy, that's always. A favorite. And of course, Yeo Nilo, although that's very sad, but it's like, wow, I mean, it really says it all. And it's so incredible every time that we have to sing that. You know, it's like his mood in a nutshell, that's Nartam, you know, in this mood of separation. And he expressed it so well that every Vaishnava sings this song every time someone departs, you know, so it's just a really important song. Can I ask a follow-up question specifically to Jayanila? We, we hear mm -hmm. some like really extreme statements by Nartam. I, I will smash my head on a rock. How, how can we mm. understand um, statements like that? And especially if, if we're singing it with a group of people that are not familiar with with these types of <laughs> with the culture of, yeah. of Bhakti, uh, yeah. how, how can yeah. you explain that as well yeah. i mean i think people can understand that the emotion is so intense that it's just an expression of intensity like you know 
for sure he's not going to go smash his head against the rock. But I think anybody could understand that as an emotional expression that I just feel like I can't stand it, you know? I mean, when I think of when Prabhupada left, I can totally relate to like, yeah, smash your head against a rock, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, that it's so severe. So, you know, he has to say something dramatic for you to get the point of how extreme it is that there's nothing more painful in this world than a loss of a great Vaishnava. And so he expresses it well, but you just have to say it's, you know, there's a lot of that, you know, like, especially in Prabodhananda Saraswati, like to hell with this one and that one and the way he speaks, but you know, it's, it's a bhava, you know, it's a, it's a mood that, that they have. And so they express themselves like that. I think people couldn't get it, you know, if you explain it like that. No, he didn't smash his head against the wall, but. <laughs> So what are, what are some of the teachings that we could apply nowadays in our life then? So when you're reading something like that or singing his songs that is, is, may seem a little bit extreme or whatever, how can you apply those in like modern life? I think one of the main things that's very applicable for us and very practical is just... Um, his mood of hankering, you know, I think in a nutshell, that's like his whole life. He was just intensely hankering, you know, and it's like nobody really goes to Krishna through casual practice, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you want to have a kirtan, you know. I mean, there's got to be <laughs> intensity, you know, you don't hear about people that made it to Krishna, you know, when they were just like, yeah, I did the routine, I chanted my rounds, I, you know, there, it has to be coupled, you know, with this hankering, like, I really want that, you know, like a material life, people get like that, they really, really want something, and they really go for it, you know, so sometimes spiritually, we get a little flat, you know, like as if we're not supposed to, you know, be passionate about what we want, you know, but if you look at the, look at the intensity of the hankering of Nartam and his songs and Bhaktivinoda Thakur so similar that, you know, I think that's the main, one of the main things that you can get from his life, his teachings, his songs, is to understand that this is what we really want, that we really want it, you know, and again, there's got to, it has to come a point where there's an intensity about it. You just don't go back to Godhead casually, you know, it's not like a walk in the park. It's something that you, you know, even materially, you know, people don't become Olympic champions by, you know, just tossing the ball a few days a week, you know, 
they like people. It's amazing what they do. Like, it's embarrassing to me when I see like, you know, professional ice skaters or, you know, people that do things that are just unreal, you know, and they practice like people practice 12, 14 hours a day to become, you know, champions in a field. And I think, oh my God, if I had like even the tiny, tiniest little drop of, you know, determination or enthusiasm for, you know, moving forward spiritually, you know, so, I mean, you can learn even from, you know, from anybody because somehow they want that. So Krishna empowers them to do it so well, you know, be, materially i mean it takes you nowhere but you know you fulfill a material desire but it works the same spiritually i mean how much do we want it you know i think a lot of it is that we're just casual observers yeah that's cool okay let's go do something else now <laughs> and that's so thing in, with regards to what you just said um yeah th there's so many different sports but i think i found my favorite sport a little late in life um and that's mm. because there's no mountains in mayapur but but i love uh -huh. rock climbing and um oh. yeah it's it's one of those sports where especially if, if you don't have any ropes where you have to focus scary no don't yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> but that's I, I, scary <laughs> I was thinking just to tie up to what you said er early on, you were talking about sort of living life in, in a relaxed way. And I'm, I'm thinking about the most famous rock climber, Alex Honnold, who free soloed El Capitan in Yosemite, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. like, it's, it's a very scary thing to go up two kilometers without a rope and you're just like holding on to nothing. But he was completely oh relaxed God. about it, just very relaxed, very calmly just going up. And I got to live um, for six months with a, a professional rock climber as well here in the Lake District. Mm -hmm. And I could see he would just basically as a professional rock climber, he was training eight hours a day. And, and I was thinking, wow, like, I'm definitely not doing that for my Krishna consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you imagine if you could apply yourself, like you could be a, a mega Joppa person, you know, like focused and focus, you know, and really we are meant to be, you know. So, yeah, you can get inspiration anywhere, you know, you see people trying so hard and working really, really hard for something that is so much less than what we want. You know, what we want is so hardly attainable. You know, it's so high, you know, to think that we won't have to kind of work for it. Um, you know, that's a little naive, you know, so all of our, really our work, but a lot of it is that it just comes to us naturally in life you know, that everything that's happening for a devotee ultimately is, you know, just Krishna pushing us in some direction that will, that in some way that will bring us closer to him, just like these difficulties that you had recently, you know, you lost all your stuff and everything, and it really forced you to turn to Krishna and reassess what do I, who, what do I think, what do I believe, and so really that's, 
that's the work that a devotee is doing. You know, it may not be, you know, that hard labor of getting out on the field. And, but that is the practice, actually. The practice is that every moment, everything that's coming is Krishna. And whether it's good or bad, that's why Prabhupada said, for a devotee, there's no auspicious or inauspicious. Because whatever comes, it's going to be Krishna. We're going to see Krishna in it. And if it brings us, it doesn't mean it won't be painful, but it means that we'll become closer to Krishna. So internally, we will grow. So that our work may not be as visible as somebody that's out there eight hours practicing, but we do have to practice. <laughs> Can I ask you, um, we didn't write these down previously, but I, I just was thinking as you were talking about Prabodhananda Saraswati, that, that line, like to hell with this, I was just reminded of Ayinder Prabhu and, and some of the statements that he made and also uh, some of the practices that he went through. I remember one near Jalikadashi, we were sitting with a group of friends and one of the friends was like, oh, Prabhupada never said that we need to do near Jalikadashi. And then Amala Harinam was, was sitting right there as well. And he was saying, well, Ayinder Prabhu would always do near job because if you can do that little extra service to get Krishna to, to gaze upon you, why wouldn't you do that? And so uh, sometimes it becomes a little bit difficult to understand the, the pure devotee or, or those on the path of bhakti. They can seem a little bit extreme. And, and I feel yeah. like that, that can bring a little bit of fear in us as well. Oh, I just want to be a normal person. Like, I don't want to be yeah. seen as some yeah. sort of crazy or I don't, I don't want to get into this, this space. So what would you say to yeah. that? Yeah, I, I would agree with you that it, it's it's an exception to the rule. It shouldn't be the rule, you know, that we have this extreme. There are people, they're just that way. That's their nature. Like Ayendra, for example. I mean, he's just so, um, he's just such an, a, 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 an, an unusual avidut type person. It was his nature, you know, and sometimes he'd say something strong, like, oh, to hell with the same way. Uh, but that wasn't, he wasn't like that, but some people take it wrongly, you know, that, oh yeah, to hell with the GBC or something, you know, but actually Diandra was always very respectful and always very, you know, but it's a mood, you know, so it requires maturity to understand. And that's why, you know, there's always this, uh, you can't understand the mind of a of a great Vaishnava. So it's better not to uh, go into an area that's above, you know, your own pay grade, you know, so to speak, that it is hard to understand. So it's better to just stick with, it's not there so much and so often, but um, there's things that we just like, we just have to know that I don't understand yet and that's okay. And, and even people respect you more for like, yeah, I don't understand that either. That sounds kind of crazy to me, whatever, you know, <laughs> it's okay. You know, just because we're devotees doesn't mean that we understand everything in every book and that we resonate with everything. And, you know, it means I'm in the process, you know, and, and it requires patience that I, I'm not going to figure this out. 
if I don't understand it, it it's, you know, it's not through our, you know, you know, if I chant really hard or something, you know, I'm going to figure this out, you know, that it only realization of Krishna only comes, you know, by Krishna's grace. And it's not that we figure it out, it's that we're allowed to see it. You know, that was actually, I was going to talk about that a little bit, that point, because I think there was one question that was about uh, what things can help us go deeper into understanding our relationship with Krishna or something. So I just, I wanted to, it's uh, along the same lines is that, you know, we understand Krishna through the person Bhagavat. We, you know, through them, everything is attained. You know, that we advance by mercy and mercy comes down from these acharyas. And Krishna himself, he says, one who says he's my devotee is not my devotee. One who says he's a devotee and my devotee is my devotee. And the Chaitanya Bhagavat is just full of stories along these lines showing this point, you know, like there's the story of Devananda Pandit, who was like this amazingly knowledgeable Pandit with all good qualities. And uh, he was highly regarded, highly, no bad qualities and uh, very knowledgeable in the scripture, but he couldn't see who was Lord Chaitanya. He had no idea. He, he wasn't allowed because he had made an offense to Srivas Thakur. That's a long story. But it, it took away his vision. You know, the Krishna doesn't allow you to see. He's in your heart and he, he lets you see something. And then uh, Vakreshwar Pandit somehow came to stay with Devananda Pandit and he, Devananda Pandit was attracted to him and he started to serve him wholeheartedly. And then because he served Vakreshwar, the next time he saw Lord Chaitanya, he understood who he was and he understood everything, you know, because, you know, the point being is that we don't see until Krishna lets us see. And we see by the mercy of the saintly persons that we connect with, and thus the importance for learning about our acharyas, feeling connected with them, having some attachment for them. And um, I actually, I yeah, I think it was yesterday I read Chaturatma put some some little quote that captured my attention on Facebook, and uh, I, I noted it down, so I'll read it because it's relevant here. It said, the lives of the saintly persons are rich with the sweetness of loving service and are therefore worth repeated study because they are most dear to Granga Mahaprabhu. And without such study, we will, capital letters, never understand the nature of devotional service. And by relishing the lives of great devotees, we become attracted by their compassion and develop an affection for them. And since the Lord is kind to his devotees, this is the road to becoming an object of his affection. This is the path that we take. And this is confirmed in Chaitanya Bhagavat. The worship of my devotee is even greater than the worship of me. 
And, uh, you know, so this glorifying of the devotees, hearing about Nartam, for me, it became so relevant that this is a method for, because, you know, we don't make advancement because of offenses. And so how do we get past that? You know, how can we go forward? In the story of Jogai and Madai, you know, how, he, how Madai hit Nityananda Prabhu, and he felt so, imagine how terrible he felt afterwards. I mean, imagine how bad he felt, he made him bleed. And so he went and said, you know, I just, you know, I can't go on living. I made such terrible offenses, what should I do? And then he was instructed that that same tongue that made such offenses statements, that same tongue should be used to glorify the devotees, and then you will become free from your offenses. So for me, it's a very practical thing, <laughs> speaking about, hearing about, and becoming attached to is a process. It's not just fun, it's essential and very important and very powerful and very, very purifying. Well, it Following that theme, then you'll see, we see in Nartam's story that he has such a wonderful relationship with his spiritual master, and he's put so much endeavor into that relationship. So, what about you? And how how about your first meeting with your spiritual master, Sri Prabhupada, and how was that um, for you? And how like how did that change your life? And how do you continue to make that connection now after he's gone? Um, do we have time to talk about this? Because this is not a two-sentence thing. This is. <laughs> well, I, I was I mean, just... do you want to? <laughs> because we're we we've gone. I mean, I don't I don't mind, but the you know it isn't that that's a big question. You know, it requires a proper answer. Just, so I'm not sure if you want me to, uh, because what is it now? It's uh, over, what? It's been an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Just just following um, on. It's up from, to you. Yeah. Just following on from what you said previously, I, I, I just wanted to express gratitude for you being with us. And if there's anything that we can serve you in any way, then please do let us know <laughs> so that we can connect <laughs> to Krishna better. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm happy to come and clean the house or anything. I'll, I'll bring them through. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little hard from England. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll walk to Mayapur from here. <laughs> but yeah, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm having a real blast here because I'm here in the middle of nowhere without any devotee sangha, and, and this means everything to me. So I'm happy to stay here for, for another hour, but I wanted to touch base to see how you're feeling, if, if you're feeling okay. And if- Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, and if, I forget if any, about all my, all my miseries when I start talking. <laughs> if, if anyone needs to, to leave for whatever reason, um, then please do so. Please don't feel offended. Um, I think I, I would like to, to continue this conversation um, because yep. we don't know when we'll get you back. Hopefully we will get you back. I was just thinking that <laughs> maybe at the end of reading the book, we can like note down different questions. Uh, like okay. I already have a question mm -hmm. in mind, 
Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, we'll, we'll leave that for later. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would love to hear your answer to, to Ross's question. Um, well, uh, Nartam Das Thakur, um, when he got to Vrindavan, you imagine he already had received the love of Mahaprabhu and was a very exalted soul already, but he, did, he didn't in any way see himself like that. And um, so Sri Jiva Goswami was the first person he took him to see was Lokanath Goswami. And when Naratam saw Lokanath, as soon as he saw him, his heart was just drawn fully like a magnet to him. And he knew this is my spiritual master. And again, this is, you know, his determination that this is it. I, I've given it. It's, there's no taking it back. The heart is gone and uh, I've given it. And so it was something that happened to him in a moment by just seeing him from a distance. It was, he hadn't even gone in and met him yet. So this was a very, very profound thing that happened to him in just one moment. And if you're familiar with, there's a, uh, the verse that says, you know, just one moment's association with the Vaishnava can liberate one. And, you know, that may sound like an exaggeration, a moment, come on, really, it's going to liberate you from, um, but I will say that I completely get that and believe that from my experience with the first time that I saw Srila Prabhupada, um, because when I, um, I joined the temple, uh, somewhere after John Mosterby in 1970. And Prabhupada was not well then, so he wasn't, he wasn't initiating for some time, because usually in those days you got initiated pretty quick. But um, I didn't because he was ill at that time. And so I was sent out to open a temple and, you know, did all sorts of things. And then finally Prabhupada came, you know, I'd done a lot of service, but I was still Susan um, until Prabhupada came. I think it was uh, June of 71, he came to Detroit for the first time. So Detroit was a, you know, a small temple that was opened by Bhagavan is one of the first temples in that area. And uh, so nobody had really seen Prabhupada except Bhagavan and, you know, a couple other people. We were, everybody was new. So we all got initiated by letter. There were 13 or 14 people that got initiated. Each one of us got a letter from Prabhupada. They all arrived the same day in Detroit and uh, was really amazing emotional experience when one by one Bhagavan read out everybody's letters with their names and everything. And, uh, and our beads were sent to us because uh, we didn't think we were gonna see Prabhupada. You know, he'd never come to that part of the world yet or part of America. And uh, then somehow or another he came in June 
and we then had a fire yagya with other people at that time. We just sat in because we, we didn't have one. You, you didn't have to have one in those days. You just got your beads and you got your name. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, by the time Prabhupada came, so that was, you know, seven, eight, nine months, something like that, that I'd been a devotee, already gone and opened up a temple in Cleveland, Ohio, and you know, done a lot of different services. But, you know, to me, Prabhupada was still, <clears throat> Prabhupada was understood by the other devotees, by the enthusiasm of the other devotees that were always talking about him constantly. And we were getting letters from Shamasundar and he would describe Prabhupada and what was going on. And it was like, we just lived for those letters. And, you know, but in my heart, you know, Prabhupada was still, you know, the picture on the Vyasasan, um, you know, wasn't so personal in a sense. I didn't really know, you know, um, you know, I just hadn't seen him. So anyway, Prabhupada uh, came and so devotees came from New York and at temples nearby, New Vrindavan, I think, and so there was, um, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred devotees, which seems like nothing nowadays, but then it was like a, a, a huge, you know, influx of Hare Krishnas, you know, into the Detroit area. And uh, so we went to, we, we, uh, we all went to the airport and you know, we were so excited to see Prabhupada that it was beyond like wild dancing or anything. We were just sitting down singing the samsara prayers breathlessly, like just waiting for the doors to open. And it was just so uh, intense, so intense all these people that are sitting there that had fully given their lives. And, you know, we were like freaks, you know, in those days, you know, to be wearing, looking how we looked and sitting there in the airport, you know, wow. And uh, so it was kind of a hushed waiting, you know, and then singing samsara dava. And then the doors opened and Prabhupada came in. And that moment was so profound for me that I, I think I could probably talk about it for a couple of hours because it's, it was the conjunction, you know, it was the point where matter meets spirit and where you see spirit in action and it's just as plain as day, like it would have been no more shocking to me had it been Krishna standing there with the flute. Prabhupada's presence was so that I actually, I fell to the ground. Now that was not, I paid obeisances. That's what obeisances is. It was one time in my life. I don't think I ever did it like that again, but I understand what obeisances means. It means that you simply could not stand. You could not stand in the presence of such spirituality. I mean, I fell to the ground and tears were pouring from my eyes. And many, many other devotees, I wouldn't even say some of the things I experienced because it sounds, oh, yeah, you know, she's a little over the top. 
you know, but actually, you know, I've read and heard many people that went to the, were there at that time and were at, I also read Shivaram Swami's when he described his airport experience and it was identical, only it was, you know, really beautifully expressed. But um, the thing is what happened was so many things at one time because it's like, as long as you don't, as long as it's all theoretical, then you can just kind of leave it there on the mental platform, you know? But when you're standing in front of someone who actually sees you, like, you know, the avatar, I see you, um, that was the experience is that, and so many devotees say this, that somehow, even though there's a room full of people, everyone personally felt that, you know, that somehow he looked past and went so far deep inside of me where I didn't even know existed and touched there in such intimacy, that's intimacy you know, rubbing skin, that's nothing. You know, when someone penetrates to your soul and touches, that's like, and then it was just like, it was too much because it was, it was filled with joy and it was filled with pain. And it was filled with embarrassment because I felt utterly and totally and completely exposed like a naked baby standing. You don't know anymore who you are, what you are, what you pretend to be, whatever mask you were wearing before it fell away. And, and you had no way to hide yourself. You're just standing there, you know, and, and there's nowhere to hide. And, you know, so it's like painful because you see your, your falsity and your everything everything is exposed. And then at the same time, you feel that you are not any of that, and that he's touching you there. And, and it was just like, for me, you know, if only that one thing happened in my life, then my life would have been worth living. Because then I knew there is matter and there is spirit. And I saw it. I saw it like with my eyes, the way Prabhupada moved, the way he, everything, you know, what he brought into that, that I knew that I, I was not in the Detroit city airport, <coughs> that Prabhupada's aura spread across the room and created this like Vaikuntha bubble. And we were in Vaikuntha and I, we had no sense. I mean, you can imagine how bizarre the scene must have been because devotees were crying, wailing. Devotees, we all did dandabats flat on the ground, you know, women, men, everybody, you know, flat in the middle of the airport where the, you know, <laughs> the arrivals are coming in, right? Imagine we had, a, we brought the Vyasasan from the temple, the whole big Vyasasan was sitting there with a book stand and with Prabhupada's silver goblet and you know and then Prabhupada walks in and he sits down <laughs> and starts giving a talk like we're at the temple I mean 
I, I, when I think about that scene, like people that saw that must have never, ever forgotten about it, you know. But the thing is, is that I understood the power and the potency of just the presence. One moment's association can just shatter uh, the whole external, all those things, you know, all the falseness around the soul you know, and it, and liberate you and feel, you, you feel, even if it's just for one second, even if it's just one second, you know that that exists. So even, you know, and that, then you know, well, that's what pure devotees feel all the time. It's not just a second, you know, the seconds get, the more advanced you get, the seconds, you know, spread out into half hours and hours and, you know, until you're in that Vaikuntha, environment all the time and then it was interesting because like you know i realized when i went to vrindavan for the first time i remember i went one of the first things i walked down to the prikama mark <clears throat> which was all beautiful and sandy and there was nobody there <clears throat> and um and i was just like feeling vrindavan and then suddenly I remember where I, I stopped and I thought, oh, wow, this is it. This is what Prabhupada carries. That's what he brought, you know, in the airport. That's what he brings in the world, like that feeling of being in the Dom, you know, like I'd never been there before. So then I, I had this experience and then I thought, wow. Prabhupada is carrying Vrindavan around the world. It's not just a beautiful statement, you know, it's an actual reality that the environment becomes changed by the presence of, of such a powerful devotee that actually changed the environment. I mean, even we see like Rupa Goswami, when he would sit, that his emotions would be so profound when he was writing at Terakadamba that you know when he was writing about the union of radha and krishna then everything would go all sunny and beautiful and when he would be writing about separation the leaves would dry up and start coming down off of the trees because his his emotions are so powerfully affecting the environment you know actually it's a really good platform to talk about um you know, nowadays everybody's talking about the environmental cleanup, you know, but till, uh-oh, I just did something. Are you still there? You're still there, it's fine, Mom. Okay, I just, I clicked on the thing. Um, you know, that until you really clean, you know, you've hardly cleaned anything if you just clean up the oceans and everything, because you'll just make them dirty again, because everybody's hearts are dirty, you know. So that's the problem. The problem is the heart. And unless you do that, you know, and you see when the heart is clean, what those powerful devotees can do, what they can do, they can change matter to spirit. I mean, I know I, I experienced it. So I, I, that is some things you just know, you know, I know that, you know, I don't, may not experience it. I may not have, you know, day-to-day -day realization, but I mean, I did have that experience. So uh, in relation to how Nartam, you know, looked at Lokanath 
and something so dramatic happened. I, I totally get that. I totally get it. I was just thinking about this concept of um, being present. You know, how they say that the past is gone, you know, the future may never come, the moment is all we have. And sort of that good fortune that you had to actually be present with Srila Prabhupada in that moment, because I'm sure a lot of people also were there, but maybe their minds were somewhere else and, and maybe they didn't connect with Prabhupada in that way. And maybe that's yeah, why well, it's there. not it's not that that happened. Like I, I've talked to devotees that like I remember talking to one devotee that was in the Detroit temple. He didn't feel that way at all. Um, it's not that he didn't have some experience like that ever in his life, but it was just at a different time, different place, different way. So it's not that it's always, you know, oh, the first time or it's not, you know, there's no set pattern for it. But for me, it happened like that. But that that other devotee was, you know, he was like, yeah, I was thinking, oh, he's kind of small. And, you know, he thought something we were so different. And, um, you know, so it's not uh, necessarily that that. But even Nartam, you know, like, even though he didn't see, um, he didn't see Roops and Nartam, but through his intense desire, he saw everything. He was showed everything. Um, you know, when he came to Navadweep, all of a sudden he saw the real Navadweep. You know, he actually saw everybody going around and they were going to Nimai's house. And he's like, wow, you know, and then suddenly it went away. So um, it's not limited by, you know, that Krishna and his devotees may come or may make themselves present to people at any time, anywhere, any place, um, regardless of whether they're physically present or not. And I've heard enough stories from, I mean, I get humbled by the stories of many second and third generation devotees that have had dreams of Prabhupada or had some experiences that I just think, oh my God, I never had any of that, you know, <laughs> you know, so it's, um, it's not a material thing. So anything is possible. Like Nartam was always lamenting that he missed, oh, I missed, I wasn't there for this. And, and yet he saw everything, you know, so no one's ever, you know, missed out. Thank you for sharing such a, a beautiful pastime of, of you meeting Srila Prabhupada. And um, I wonder if I could ask you, I, this is a, a really important question for me. I, I feel like I'm practicing Christian consciousness in like the mode of ignorance and passion, you know, having like some really high points and then having some really low points and you know you've been, you've been around you're one of the pioneering devotees uh, in our movement you helped establish so many different um temples at least the deity aspect of the temple and i wondered through all the ups and downs of the movement and also in your, in your own life what has helped you to like still 
remain here, still have a strong faith in Krishna. I, I would love to hear about that. Um, well, I know it's going to sound maybe, well, I don't know how it will sound, but chanting 16 rounds every day. <laughs> um, you know, because I had so many friends that have come and gone from Krishna consciousness, and many of them that I consider to be much nicer people and did much better service than me. And so I can't really figure it out. Um, but I, I really believe that chanting 16 rounds, even crummy rounds or whatever, and Prabhupada said it again and again and again in practically every single letter. So it's like not insignificant, you know, that it's our protection. So we're going to go through ups and downs and ups and downs constantly. That's life. And stuff is going to happen. And how are you going to remain if you're not chanting 16 rounds and hearing some philosophy, whatever way you can do it best, daily, daily? You can't, uh, material energy is so powerful. Um, you know, you, without that protection. And I mean, honestly, I know that many of the people that I've seen rise and fall. They just, they stopped chanting. They were really busy or they were whatever, you know? And so, I mean, maybe it sounds simplistic or whatever, but it's the only reason that I think I'm still here. Uh, I mean, I just do that, you know? I mean, however crummy, you know, sometimes rounds may be, but it is our protection and I feel it as protection, even if you don't have taste and even if whatever, you're doing it for the person that's giving, given everything to us. Prabhupada gave us everything. We have no life without it. We're just, oh, we would just be floating down the, the material ocean along with everybody and you know, he just asked us to do just really simple thing, you know, just do this every day for our benefit, you know. And so, I mean, I, I can't say how important I feel that that is because I've seen, um, I also, I, another thing is that our personal journey, um, our personal journey throughout life is not dependent, you know, our spiritual progress is not dependent on anything that happens externally. You know, like I've just seen so much that we've been through through all the years. I mean, I could tell a million stories. And I see how devotees, oh, you know, I, you know, they get so upset by something that happened or so affected by something that happened and then they just leave. And, I'm, and, and it puzzles me. And I just go, yeah, but look, all this information is still yours. And that mantra is still yours. And that possibility to go back to Godhead is still available. I mean, you're going to let somebody screw you up or an institution screw you? I mean, what, what the heck? You know, you have all the tools, all the everything. It's still true. I mean... <laughs> you know, 
nothing has changed even you know because this one fell down or that one did this or that or whatever or somebody was mean or you know but it just doesn't you know whatever's going on that's outside of you it's outside of you it may affect you you know it, it will affect you but it doesn't have to um destroy you or make you not able to make spiritual progress, that your spiritual progress, everybody's spiritual progress is not dependent on anything external. It's all about our own selves. We can't blame it on anybody. We can't, you know, either we do it or we don't do it. Either we learn how to love Krishna or we don't. It's nobody's fault and it's nobody to blame. I just find it amazing that so many people get into the victim thing. Ah, this one did this to me. And <laughs> even in material world, that's just a loser's, you know, that's just a losing mentality. You just don't get anywhere. You know, so I think it's important to know that we are each responsible for our own advancement. End of story. And we chant our rounds and we find people, you know, even just one friend that's serious about Krishna consciousness that you can, that you can talk to, you can be with, you know, because you've you got to have association. I mean, we are what we associate with, you know, that means what we eat, what we watch, who we're with, what we see, the music, the everything, you know, it all makes us you know, what we are. And, um, you know, that's why, the, I mean, those basic principles, you know, <laughs> chant around here, the philosophy and have some, you know, some good devotees around. And if they're not around you, you can find them. I mean, now we just have no excuse. Imagine like in the old days, you know, like you saw a sadhu once in your life or something, and then anyone went off into the jungle or, you know, there you had no books, you had no internet, you had no, you know, we just have, we have like, it's almost, you know, ridiculous, the amount of opportunity we have for hearing, chanting, association, remembering, you know, from any kind of, you know, like there's always gonna be people you don't resonate with, but there's got to be some people that you do resonate with. And then, you know, having that friendship, it, it's essential. You can't go it alone. You know, you can't go it alone. But also feeling that's another reason that I would say that it's so important to, uh, it's so important, I feel, especially for you younger generation, to kind of enter into a relationship with our acharyas and learn our history because it makes you feel you're part of, uh, it helps you to see the bigger picture that it's not just about some little institution that's been going for a few years, you know? It's about this massive, it's about the creation. It's about this huge prophecy that began, you know, <laughs> hundreds of years ago and how it's unfolding and how we're actually in it and we're actually part of it and it's so miraculous if we can see it then everything becomes so petty you know all the small things that drive us nuts or people we don't like or the things we don't like it just it just like so what you know we're just 
you know, we're so small and our life is so short and we're, we got this chance. We're part of this, like it's a miracle prophecy that's unfolding before our eyes, you know, like 50 years ago, nobody ever hardly heard of Krishna. Nobody heard of mantras or any, that was just like weirdos, hippies, you know, in my day, you know, that ever heard any of these things, reincarnation. Now in 50 years, it's all that has become mainstream. I mean, whose plan is that? This Lord Chaitanya's plan is unfolding. There were no Vedic literatures, hardly anything, nothing personal. I mean, there was a few Mayavadi things. And I mean, now there are over 500 million, 500 million books that are spread out throughout the world. I mean, it's miraculous. We are part of something miraculous that's actually, and then when you know that, you know, then other things that make you feel crappy and down and, you know, whatever. I mean, it just, you just know it's just silly, you know, because really we have such opportunity and so few people in the world have such opportunity you know and we've already seen we've seen so many people leave this world so many devotees and and you see how miraculously they leave you know uh i mean you see krishna present and and how wonderful and how extraordinary many devotees are that you you didn't really know they were <laughs> Um, because it's not easy to see. It's not all black and white, you know. It's Krishna allows you to see when you have the right eyes, you know, when you have the right heart. And then you go, oh, wow, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't see that before, you know. And then, you know, but, but we are, there are like extraordinary people around and wonderful, amazing devotees, you know. I mean, like you look at Jagadaka Maharaj, I mean, my God, you know, he's not even like human. He, he's defied death like, you know, seven or eight times or something. He's still going and he's like, gives like four classes a day. And I'm just like, what is he? And we think it's normal because he always does that. But who does that? That's not normal. <laughs> you know, so there are things that we, we kind of get desensitized to it because we're so close to it all, you know. But sometimes people come in and they see things, you know, and they go, wow, you know, you mean everybody in this whole community is vegetarian and everybody like chants this mantra and like, oh my God, you know, like 4,000, 5,000 people, you know, it's actually amazing. I mean, one time we had this guy here, he was, um, he was from, uh, oh God, what do you call it? The international, uh, you know, that wants to make one world, uh, oh my God, I can't think. United Nations, United Nations. So he was like really high up in the United Nations. And, um, you know, he suddenly came here, nobody knew what to do with him. My husband was a little bit involved. He, you know, he had some positions. So I said, oh, well, Prabhu, you better take care of him. You know, Bengalis didn't even know how to talk to him, you know, and, um, <clears throat> So my husband said, well, you know, he was interested. He said, wow, you know, what, what's going on here? <laughs> Somehow he wound up here. And um, my husband told him, well, if you really want to see what's going on here, you should come to Mangalarti at 4.30 in the morning. 
So he's like, oh, it's a wee bit early for me. But um, so he came. And, you know, he's a real like dignified, uh, you know, with a suit and, you know, somebody that lives in a different world from us altogether. <laughs> and and um, so he, he goes to Mangalarti and then afterwards they announced, you know, they said, oh, we have this person from the United Nations is here and everybody clap. And then, you know, they weren't expecting it, but he stood up and he came forward and he said, could I have the microphone? So then we're like, oh my God, what's that guy gonna say, you know? So he takes the microphone and he said, um, I just have to say something. He said, because I'm so overwhelmed that I can barely speak. And he said, you have to understand where I come from. I'm coming from the United Nations. Now we go around the world and we try to get countries to talk to each other you know, warring factions. He said, the things that we see on a daily basis and we're trying to bring people together and, and it is our desire to unite them. And he said, and here I come to this place out in the middle of nowhere. And I see hundreds and hundreds of bright shining faces of everyone from all different nationalities singing and dancing at 4.30 in the morning. And I can't tell you how much joy I feel in my heart. I mean, he was like, he had everybody in tears. He was in tears. And, uh, you know, so it's like interesting, you know, here is somebody that we think, oh, you know, he's a big shot in the world and everything, but he's overwhelmed by like our daily experience, you know? Oh yeah, that's just Mongol, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, because sometimes we're too close to the thing and that's why it's always good. I always thought it was good in the old days when most devotees went out preaching and went out in the field. Um, because when you spend your day out there, oh my God. I remember I, we had a Sankatan party that went up to Denmark and it was just a group of girls. Malati was in one of the, the driver and we had a little, um, what do you call that? Little like van and I can't think of the word for it, but anyway, it attached on- camper van? van? Yeah, camper van. And um, so we, like we lived in that and we'd go out. And so we each had a partner and we went to different places and we all had different things that we liked to do. Like I didn't like to do the street. I had to go to schools and hospitals. And, and um, so they gave me a partner um, and it was this one devotee. And I was like, oh no, I can't stand that devotee. You know, she drives me nuts. She's just so, you know, bubbly all the time. <laughs> And I'm so not bubbly. And uh, so, you know, we went out and I thought, oh, you know, it's already hard to go out, you know. But like when you're out there all day and then occasionally I would get sight of this devotee, Jiva Dasi, and, and I would feel so much bliss. I'd yell out to her, Jiva, Jiva, you know, because it's like, oh my God, a devotee, you know, when you're out there. Um, you know, so the thing is, because we're always in, we're always internal. So 
uh, it makes it hard, harder to appreciate, you know, but um, when you go out and you really see what's going out there, um, it really helps you so much to appreciate devotee association of any type, you know, whatever people that believe Krishna is God and <laughs> Janari Krishna, you know, I don't know how I got into that, but. Thank you. Thank you so much for that beautiful sharing and just uh, helping us reconnect with our japa as well. It's like such a, a basic thing, but it's also the one thing that connects us to Krishna that, that yeah. we forget to do or even Mangalarti, like if if we show up to Mangalarti, right? So thank you so much for that. And um, I don't know if, if Rasa had any questions, but since uh, she sees you every day. <laughs> I thought I would just ask one more question if that's all right. Just hijack yeah. the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted to ask, and, and this this is sort of important for me as um, I was looking at like my personality type and I'm sort of, according to the Enneagram, I'm, I'm the futurist. I'm always sort of living in the future. And I'm thinking that, um, you know, 20 years or maybe less, there won't be many proper disciples around. And I wondered if you could uh, kindly share something with us that um, can inspire us for, for, uh, for the years to come. Um, yeah, it, it, and, and also to add to that, if, if there's anything that we haven't asked that, that you wanted to share as well, um, then Please, please do let us know. Well, you know, it'll probably be less than 20 years. I'd say the next five and 10 years are going to be pretty quick departures. It's practically happening every day nowadays. Um, but I think that your generation is going to be extremely challenged because even though you have all grown up and because you've grown up in Krishna conscience, because you were born into it or came to it earlier or whatever, um, you have it all in there. I mean, you're certainly all very, very special souls that were sent to be part of this mission because it doesn't just happen randomly. Lord Chaitanya places people where they're meant to be when. And so I see all of you as this kind of gigantic army of potential, just waiting for kind of marching orders or something, you know, because you have not been empowered in the way that our generation was. You know, we were like, I was 19, I joined, I was 20, I opened a temple. Um, you know, and then 21 opened another temple and, you know, like, you know, the GBCs were all under 25, you know, and <clears throat> so Prabhupada treated us like we were adults. And so we tried to behave like it, you know, and we had a whole, we were building a society, we were building a movement and we had to just get on to it. We had, so there was no time, you know, 
there was, you know, because mostly it was ashram living. We all were living, whether married, unmarried, whatever. It was ashram life, meaning, you know, you were full on. You didn't have free time. You didn't have, you know, any of that. There was no choice. We were in the army. We were in the Hare Krishna army. <laughs> um, you know, so... I mean, in some ways it was really good because you didn't have a choice. Because I mean, would I have done all that by choice? Probably not, you know. <laughs> but <clears throat> but you all haven't had that, like Prabhupada gave this huge thing to do and he was like, okay, go, you know, run, get going, you know, print the books, open the temples, do the, you know, get on, go to the colleges, go to the, make the BCGs, do, you know, we're like scrambling. We hardly have time to think. So you haven't had kind of, most of you have not really had the pleasure of that kind of intense devotional service that's not mixed with anything else. And um, uh, with the exception, sometimes, I mean, not everyone, I mean, I wouldn't say that across the board, but, you know, I, I would say the closest thing is like, say, Andrew Dumna Maharaj's uh, programs in Poland, you know, where the young people get to really just do it, you know, um, and just be busy and engaged, you know. <clears throat> and um, so in some ways, you've been like passive observers, watching what all these, you know, so-called big devotees are doing. And not necessarily, I mean, not everyone, but not necessarily that invested yourself, you know, looking at it, I like this, I don't like that. And, you know, like going to a football game or something and you're in the stands, you know, there's a lot of difference between making your comments from the stands than playing in the field, you know, than being one of the players out there that's getting smashed around and everything. And that has to practice all the time, you know. So, um, but I have a feeling that you're going to be um, pushed into the field <laughs> by force of the absence of, uh, you know, what will happen is going to be uh, major, you know, because you kind of leave it to the parents kind of thing, like in a family. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're paying the rent, they're buying the groceries, whatever. I'll just, you know, eat or, you know, but then, you know, the parents are gone and then, you know, and then, oh yeah, how do you do that? I mean, how are you supposed to run a BBT? And how do you print those books? And, you know, how do you, what's the legalities for running temples and, you know, the whole thing, you know, there's a lot, a lot involved in, in an organization, you know. And uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a piece of cake. You know, I mean, a lot of people are waiting for us to die off so they can get in there and get to work. You know, one of those old guys still hanging on to, <laughs> you know, uh, which I can understand. But um, I think people have to, a lot of your generation going to have to, uh, um, uh, maybe it's hard to say how and the best way to be prepared is by being spiritually you know solid and really knowing 
Prabhupada and really knowing these books because there's going to be already we've had so many philosophical deviations, you know, and it, it's not easy. It wasn't easy after Mahaprabhu left or after, you know, I mean, so many things have happened. So I think it's realistic if you're a futurist type person that looks into the future. I think that's good because a lot of people are not looking into that and thinking, well, how to prepare for that, how to be, I mean, the best way to be prepared is to actually be knowledgeable because people are gonna fight about stuff. And if you don't know, if you don't understand Prabhupada's mood and mission, and if you're not focused on the right things, you know, it can go in any direction. And you have to be solid in yourself, in your spiritual practice, that whatever's going to happen, I'm, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to keep doing that, and I will make my life perfect by doing that. And whatever else I can do to assist others, that I'll try my best, you know, but for sure, it will be, you know, it's not going to be easy. I think the best thing is to know history, to know our histories, to understand institutional histories. Even we're not really that unique. We're unique in philosophically, but as an organization, they go through patterns that so, uh, sociologists understand very well. Um, so the, many of the things that we've been through, so did this one and that one and the other, so many other organizations go through the same and being a neophyte uh, Christian is very similar to being a neophyte devotee. You know, you get fanatical and you do this and you do that. You know, these are just normal patterns, but becoming more knowledgeable about our own history and, and what were Prabhupada's desires and everything, we have to be prepared, you know. Like, you know, the same thing of not being casual about it. it's not always going to stay that way, you know. People are going to have, some people are going to have to come up to the plate and bat. <laughs> you know, it's already happening. Like you see in my, or more, more and more, there's a younger generation that are actually getting positions and, you know, but if we don't learn from the previous generation, you know, the mistakes that we've made and everything, then it's kind of like, for me, it's a little bit painful to watch because you see the same syndromes, the same patterns. Oh, the guy becomes an authority and then he thinks he's, you know, the bee's knees. And then he starts bossing people around and, you know, anything, aren't we over that now? I mean, in this day and age, <laughs> but, you know, if it's not recognized, acknowledged, if we don't move on to a more mature way of expressing Krishna consciousness, then, you know, we're destined to repeat those old patterns, you know. Anyway. I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much for everything that you've mentioned, <laughs> uh, for helping us understand the history, both in your book, we, we really get to experience what Krishna consciousness was like at a, at a very significant time when, when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had just left and, and also through this conversation. I hope it will be the first of many. 
And um, I, I was wondering if Rasa had any closing words as the co-host of the book club. <laughs> Sorry for hijacking the, the later part of this. Um, I guess I just have the one last obvious question, which is where can people buy this book if they want oh, to? Okay. Well, Amazon.com. Um, in a, uh, you know, in, I guess, around the world, Amazon. And uh, there's, it's also available on bookrights.com. Rights spelled W-R-I-G-H-T-S, one word, bookrights.com. Um, that's Maya Priya. She does publishing and stuff in America. Um, in India, we have it. We can send it out. But other than that, we don't, uh, yeah, we don't have much distribution going on. I guess that's all for me. <laughs> I think we've hit the, the two, hour, yeah. two hour mark now, so. Yeah, that was pretty long. <laughs> that was fun. So thank you. Is that Leva? Leva? Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. It was very nice. Uh, thank you for staying so long and being patient. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you. So we'll close up then. Hare Krishna. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you so much, Mother Sitala. And I, I just Hare wanted Krishna. to mention that um, we're taking a little week break and we'll continue the book club on the 2nd of February. So thank you all so much. <laughs>